smell something? Put that cookie down! Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm John Star. We're filmmakers, we're fans, and we're fanboying this week. We've got guest Zane C. Weber on once more. Just playing old guest. You Zane asked C. to be plain old guest. I would have said special guest every <laughs> single time, but you didn't want to be special anymore. No, I'm not special. Just, just like, like, like everyone Gosling, else. Just like Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner 2049, you are not special. You are not the chosen one. I wish I was Ryan Gosling in the 25. I wish I was. I mean, I feel Gosling like that world would be a bit hard to live in. Just not very enjoyable. Very bleak. Well, really, very well lit. He's a robot, but, so you know, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, we're talking about our favorite directors this week. Um, but, but as usual, before we will ask the question, what have you been watching? And Zane, what have you been watching this? week? I've been rewatching the US version of The Office. I am in the middle of that as well. It is my favorite show of all time. And it's been just long enough that I'm not sick of it to rewatch it. So yeah, that's that's it's, pretty much what I've. Been where are you up to at the moment? Going. Season six. Oh Jesus, you're further than me. I'm only on season five. Oh yeah, Shane. When I watch something, I don't <laughs> half watch it. I, I watch I'm watching all like of a it. million things at once and trying to maintain a wider breadth of shows. It's so hard. I love the fact it's got nothing to do with relationships or friendships or anything. Oh, got me? Ha! (laughs) No, it's got nothing to do with that. And as far as friendship goes, whenever you and I hang out, it's usually to watch a movie. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what you do. You just and so if I ever get into a relationship, I'm just gonna like segue into just permanently watching shows and movies. I also watched Rampage. Oh, okay. Hold up. Well, which rampage are we talking? Are we talking Uve Bowl rampage that has nothing to do with video games? Or are we talking video game rampage? You're taking that the, has nothing the, to do with the, the Rock Ball? one. Did you go to the cinema to watch this? Yes. Wait, Wait is it still out in cinemas? Yeah. Oh, I could briefly. Probably. It was since the last. Well, not since the last episode, but before that, yes. <laughs> in I, the last ten minutes, you saw <laughs> Rampage. Yes, I've. I was thinking of the ones that I've gone to the movies to see, and we. I spoke about Ocean's Eight. And and solo, but I also saw Rampage. Is it any yeah. good? Uh, no, no, it's no. So you're gonna Is see it... skyscraper when it comes out? <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't. Even the Rock's not very entertaining in it. The oh, Ape what? is more entertaining than the Rock. You can't beat an Ape. Uh, that's 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 like it's the law. comedy fact. <laughs> the law, you can't beat the Ape. Uh, it's a hate crime. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> No, um, like again, like I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of The Rock. I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, he's very funny, but I don't like, find him funny. Given he's just he's falling into that. I'm just in this movie. Right. But do you know what's going to happen in about two, in about three to five years? He's going to try for the Oscar. I oh, guarantee I can't wait for that. You. That's going to be great. And no, no, he's going to do a biopic. And then usually they'll might get nominated if they get like a lot of makeup, they'll get the, the biopic nomination. But then if they don't win that, then they'll do some like horrible dark crime movie, but that's directed by like a really artistic director or something like that. There's a whole formula. I want to know what thing. biopic could star Dwayne The Rock Johnson. There's very few. A wrestler maybe, biopic. Maybe. He's going to do The Wrestler. He's going to do something along the lines of The Wrestler. Or Guaranteed. something to do with the, the royalty of Hawaii. Oh yeah, because that that yeah. is a pretty tragic story. Mm. Oh really? Oh, that would be good actually. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm invested. Let's see this. The Rock. All right, Dwayne, <laughs> give right, me a call. I'll write you a write you a screenplay. The first one I've ever done. <laughs> Go for the Oscar. I uh, do want to know how many 
ex-wrestlers have been nominated for Oscars before? Absolutely none of them. I don't think any of them. Oh, come on, Dwayne. Not for best actor. No, but none of them have made as much financial success as The Rock either. Because um, Schwarzenegger was never an actor. Uh, was no, never he, was a wrestler, no, he was a bodybuilder. Yeah. So Chance, what have you been watching? Uh, so I've been watching Kimmy Schmidt season four. Yeah. Uh, just plowing through that. Um, and also the... Um, You've been plowing Kimmy Schmidt. I've been plowing Kimmy Schmidt. It's my redhead thing. Uh, <laughs> and also the um, Parks and Rec. Oh, yes. Uh, we're Fuck, we're taking it slower with that one because we like know we're coming towards the end. So we're like, Where are you oh. up to? I'm on season five and I, oh, I've i stopped about halfway through. I honestly in a while Because I'm watching it with my sister and my sisters and I haven't had our schedules match up in a while. Yeah. So... Have you heard that they're all willing to come back for reuniting? If they do, they need to be put down. <laughs> it's like hearing about the 30 Rock reboot. Stop. Not every show, especially ones that ran for six years already, need to come back for more. Especially since it hasn't been that long. It's yeah. only been like, what, five, ten years? Because they've, you know why? It's because they've ran out of the 80s shows that people True. remember because everyone else is, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but then they worry that someone in the wouldn't that be funny if like someone in the Parks and Rec reboot then said something horribly racist and it got canned in the middle of this? Ah, oh, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> that'd be funny. That'd be funny. And like, yeah, I'm. I feel like I watched something else, but I can't remember what. Okay. So I'll just interrupt you if I remember it. Okay. Well, I have been watching, and you forget again. You're going to say, "What have you been watching?" To me, what? Are you, uh, <laughs> fuck you, Shane. God damn it. Well. In prep for tonight, we are going to see Ocean's 8. I watched Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. I fucking love those movies. I'd all only three. I'd only seen um, 11 all the way through once a very long time ago. I'd seen bits and pieces of 12, and I'd never seen any of 13. I'm um, shocked. I went back, and I like Ocean's 1 quite a bit. I like Ocean's 12. I fucking love Ocean's 13. Mm. Uh, the visual style on those movies is so good. Good. The way he'll go about any one scene is just like, so for example, in Ocean's 13, there's the scene where Al Pacino's reading the, the letter from his assistant and she's like, I got this for you, da-da, and it's like this flowing letter and he rips it up and the voiceover stops. Yeah. Little decisions. There's just these, I, I think, you know, we're going to talk about this a little later, but I think Steven Soderbergh might be the most, not the, the greatest filmmaker ever, but he's one of the most interesting filmmakers. Yeah, he has, His career spans so much different sort of stuff. And so after watching these movies, I really want to go back and watch everything he's done. Yeah. Because I, I still haven't seen sort of the two iconic ones that I haven't seen, um, Sex, Lies and Videotape mm. and uh, Out of Sight are the two ones that he's that are considered his sort of some of his best work. And I haven't seen those two. And I've seen I've seen like Traffic and I've seen a couple of this. Video. And I want to rewatch The Nick. As well, not rewatch, sorry, watch the Nick. I saw a couple of episodes. It was good, but God, it's so hard to watch. It's just, do you know about this? No. It's set in like at the turn, it's like just pre anesthetic medical world. Right. And it's just got brutally realistic medical procedures. Excellent. With a with a, a doctor played by Clive Owen, who's like a heroin addict, who like injects between his toes. And it is, they do like a cesarean, the opening scene of the first episode is like Holy a shit. cesarean and it, the woman dies, the baby dies. It's graphic as fuck, but it's really, really good. And apparently it gets even better as it goes on. Cool. Um, even better. You say, <laughs> yes, even better. Um, but yeah, I actually really, and I think Ocean 13 is the most fun and it's the most, there's the most clarity of what they're doing. Yeah, in, definitely. In And it's, they kind of set out to do the heist, they perform the heist and, and they succeed. Whereas Ocean's 11 relies on 
we didn't tell you this thing. And even Ocean's 12 partly relies on we didn't tell you this thing that we did in the meantime. Although Ocean's 12 felt a little more together. Really? See, I do not like 12. I love Do you 11. hate the gag where Julia Roberts them. pretends to be That's Julia Roberts? That's my favourite part of the film. That is <laughs> such a good... I remember just yeah. going, I'm like, are they committing to this? They're committing. And then Bruce Willis is in it. And they're talking about the sixth sense. And I was just like, for real? They did this? <laughs> Who sat there and wrote that into the script? I was like, let's do this. I, I liked it. I liked it. Um, but then I've been watching more of Inside Number 9. Yep. You inspired me to watch more of that. You're welcome. Star. Uh, I watched the the Macbeth episode. Yes. Which was, which was AKA Red the Red Hell. Curtain Hell episode where it's literally like they're backstage during a Macbeth performance and the understudy. It's basically like the backstage story starts mimicking the on play story. And I was like, God damn it. I <laughs> want this. Um, and then I watched the one about the um, the famous singer and his last breath. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a dark as fuck it was so good have you seen this show i have not you would like it a lot because they're just very this half hour anthology so it's just very like it's a small little snack and you watch it and it's really clever and then you don't have to care about the the characters anymore after that and then an episode where like a girl who's like she's a terminally ill girl and they get some famous singer to come in and for her birthday he's going to sing and he blows up a balloon and he dies and the balloon has his last breath so they're trying to figure out how to sell his last breath online and it's so dark and the the way they like they always have like a twist or something that happens in every episode that just takes it a little more into the fucked up realm (laughs) um and the twist how could we take this too far, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But that's that's all this stuff. And then the one on the Macbeth one, I that I I didn't I should have seen it coming and I yeah. didn't, and that I had me kicking myself. Um, but yes, and then I started watching a show because I'm really inspired by the Ocean's movies, and I'm sort of concepting an idea for a heist movie of my own. Um, there's a TV show called Leverage. If either of you know it, no, it's a heist TV show. Every episode Sounds is fun. a heist, yeah. and it's got Timothy uh, Hutton. Um, the guy from Ordinary People who was nominated and then it's got like a bunch of other actors that you've never heard of. But it's like the team's really clever and it's just heists and they always do like, it is structured like Ocean's Eleven. There's the thing that they did that they didn't tell you about and they show yep. you in flashback. But that's a really typical heist yeah, movie absolutely. kind of thing. And it's just a TV show. It ran for five seasons and it's a whole heist. Five seasons? Heisting TV show. Ooh, Every episode is a fun. caper and it's really cool. Um, and I've got, I watched a couple of episodes last night and it's fun. I love it. It's a lot of fun. The character's great. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. Is there any uh, streaming service? or Not that I know of. We own them on DVD because my sister really got into them and so we just kept buying them for for like subsequent birthdays. Cool. Very good present. Anyway, so segueing in, uh, favorite directors. So I thought we'd like a little structurally different. We sort of pick our favorite director and we go point by point and talk each about what our something related to our favorite filmmaking. I'm explaining this terribly. Who is your favorite <laughs> director? And a bit about them for people who don't know. Zane. About the filmmaker, I mean. Hmm. Who's Zane's favorite director? Who could it possibly be? I wonder. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you that this is so suspenseful. <clears throat> it's Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> 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 I would just, I would stab. I, we, we, I'm quitting the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tarantino. Tarantino is my favorite. Uh, director, um, I and I don't know what people wouldn't know about him that he has a foot fetish. Like everyone mm. knows that. What guy? Like I mean, he does the crime, violent films. Is sort of the the realm he plays in, isn't it? Yes. Well, he he plays plays the hero versus anti hero a lot. 
Um, and I guess he's known for his dialogue. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into trademarks a little bit later, but yeah, yeah like I, I don't, I don't really know much about him. Cause I really just kind of focus on the movie. Yeah. I don't want to know anything about anyone these days. Yeah. Like he, was, he a, dated yeah. Sophia Coppola at one point really? and nearly, ma- he nearly married her. Mm. That would have been an interesting. That would like, I would have watched couple. the movie based on their lives because that would just be a tonally bizarre yeah. thing to see. I mean, that's the thing. Like Tarantino you just dated is Kathy in, Griffin. Is in a. Uh, I'm what? not surprised by that. What did you just say? He dated Kathy Griffin. Oh, that, that, I can see that. Yeah, I, I can. <laughs> totally say, I'm more surprised that Kathy Griffin isn't a gay man. So, yeah. uh, he's very much in like a Patty Lapone realm for me. Like. The more I know about him as a person, the least, the less I think I would like him. Wait, to me, do you like Patty? Wait, what I is- like Patty, but the more I know of her and who she is, the less I think. Is we she would like get a terrible along. person? You should. I, sh- I will. I will give you the audiobook masterclass, which is her autobiography, and she reads it. It's like, oh, we would not get along in. Person oh no! At all. Okay. <laughs> oh shit! Okay. Like, I, I appreciate what cool. she does. I thought she'd her... be really cool. Okay, that's 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 disappointing. You're thinking of Meryl Streep. No, Meryl Streep would be fine, but I thought yes, Patty the Pony would be like she'd be like an unfiltered fucking this and fucking that <laughs> kind of Italian, very Italian. Mm. Well, yeah, it's not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, uh, Chance, to who's your favorite? Movie? Uh, so I've gone with two because I hate you both. Uh, but also because I feel like I. These are two directors that I like for two specific different reasons. Uh, so I'm a dick. And also they're two directors that we're very light I on talking points, so to know the time much anyway. about. Um, whereas like there's another two directors who are Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi that I know like everything about and I could talk for days about them, but I think I do that too much. So my two directors are Frank Oz and uh, John McTiernan. Okay, so John McTiernan. Okay. Frank Oz is... Uh, commonly known as Miss Piggy, as Yoda. (laughs) He's a master puppeteer who worked for Jim Henson when he was 19. Um, And even then, he didn't want to ever do voices. Did you ever watch that recent clip that just go around of, like, the bloopers on Sesame Street? No. Oh, my God. There's, like, these puppets where they keep trying to roll this, like, drum outside of a shop and they keep fucking it up. And so he's, like, and he's... The puppet characters are in character, like as yeah. they like talk about the things going wrong. It's re- I'll link it to you because oh, it's fucking do. That great. Amazing. You need to follow Frank Oz on Twitter. He's on Twitter I and he tweets Twitter. quite regularly. You I- don't have to Twitter. You just have to go on it and read his stuff. Oh, that's too much work. I can't read. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Frank Oz. Uh, what movies is he known for? So he uh, has done my favorite film ever, Dirty Run Scoundrels. Which I still haven't seen. He did uh, The Little Shop of Horrors musical. Um, he did the he did the Stepford Wives remake, which not a lot of people do like. Did but he do I one love. of the Muppet movies? He did. He did several Muppet movies. I'm pretty sure it was either Muppets Take Manhattan or the Great Muppet Caper. It was one the of the first two. Muppet movie. No, it wasn't the first Muppet movie. He was gonna make the. recent Muppet reboot until Kermit the Frog was a bad guy. And he was like, you guys clearly don't understand the Muppets. I quit and I'm no longer Miss Piggy. Um, But then uh, apparently he would have liked the new one when they rewrote it to make it a good film. Um, But uh, he also did Death at a Funeral, which is a great movie. John McTiernan, on the other hand, uh, is an action director. Die Hard. Die Hard. Predator. uh, Predator. All of the great action films. He hasn't made a movie, I think, in about 
Because he was in jail years. for tax fraud. Tax fraud. Classic tax <laughs> fraud. A lot of people don't believe he actually did tax fraud and they think that the government's trying to take him down. I didn't read too much about that because... Didn't he openly admit to it? Like he pleaded guilty. That's what, what they want you to think, man. Lizard people. Lizard people, motherfuckers. <laughs> Uh, well, my Shane, favorite. Who's filmmaker, your favorite film? What have you been watching this one? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite filmmaker is I've talked about this before. Is Guillermo del Toro? It would have been uh, Spielberg had you asked me like last year, like at the middle of last year. <laughs> and you still was- would have been wrong then. <laughs> um, del Toro is known for fantasy monster creature features. Yeah. He's worked in Spanish language stuff as well as uh, he moved to the US and started making a lot of American genre films. Um, so what was the first film of theirs that you saw, Zane? Um, I honestly can't remember because I know I know the film that got me like, who is this person? I need to look at everything that they've ever done. And that was Kill Bill when I saw it just on a whim at the cinema and then I saw it several more times at the cinema. But I'm pretty sure I, I saw at least Reservoir Dogs before that. Yeah. Before... Kill Bill. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Um and I liked it. It was a good movie. Uh again, dialogue was great and the action and, and everything was fun, but yeah, Kill Bill is the one that really got me into Tarantino. See, sweet, because even before I started watching Tarantino, I knew that Pulp Fiction was a thing. Yeah, same. Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction is, is so such a like zeitgeist. It, yeah. It's it's everywhere in, in Pulp Fiction. Everywhere in posters on <laughs> yeah. dorm room walls, yeah. <laughs> just pretty much. Oh, man, I think I watched three student films this week that had Pulp Fiction as a poster in the background. It's yeah. Pulp Fiction, Vertigo, or um, something like The Goonies. It's literally yeah, one of those actually, three. Yeah. And that, So Vertigo will be all like the wanky people. Pulp Fiction's are like the people who think they're really badass, but they're not. And then like the 80s Goonies ones are the people who are like nostalgia porn. They like yep. Rogue One. <laughs> It's, it's a formula. It's really a formula. Pretty sure I watched a Pat's film, Fisty Cuffs, and I'm pretty sure Goonies was on one of the posters on the background. His movie's about nostalgia porn. Yeah, good point. It really is. And I know I sought out Pulp Fiction between Kill Bill 1 and 2. Okay. Yeah, cool. So that's when I was like, okay, let's see what... And that's when I watched Jackie Brown as well, and that was kind of like, oh, this is a great movie. I, that's the one of his that I haven't seen And yet. watching Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction is like, it's very... It's like... I think I still think Pulp Fiction is overrated, even though it's one of my top ten films of all time. I <laughs> it's think the it's overrated. I one. think all of his other films are better than Pulp Fiction. Okay, cool. uh, Chance, what was the first? Film? Uh, so for Frank Oz, it was definitely Little Shop of Horrors that I yes. saw first. I, I, I'm actually trying to think whether it was Stepford Wives I think or it was the only Little one Shop of Horrors that I've seen. <laughs> What Other the than the, oh no no man. like one of them up one of them up yeah, one of them up movies, movies yeah. growing up but. um but yeah Little Shop of Horrors uh, have you not seen Little Shop of no I've seen Little Shop of Horrors yeah, yeah but I didn't see it until when I started working in a video store when I was like fifteen or something like that yeah I, I'm pretty sure I saw Little Shop of Horrors because I was working in a theater uh it was one of the subjects at uni I did uh what do you call it uh, sorry at uni in high school it was drama studies or something no not drama studies it was Live theater and production. So I worked, we did the backstage stuff and we got an uh, internship at, I think it was one of the little theaters around here, ha- Harvest Rain. It was Harvest Rain and they were doing a thing of Little Shop of Horrors. So I got free tickets to that and it was great fun. Um, I really loved that play. So I saw the movie. I saw a version of it on stage and the direction they had done to try and make it unique is all of Act One, everything was style, costumes, makeup, sets, was styled to look black and white. 
Oh, cool. But in person, and then after the act change when the plant's big, it's all in colour. I thought yeah. it was interesting, but I don't know how successful it was at doing anything. <clears throat> but... Uh, Cool. And of course, Little Shop Horrors was one of the films that like drove me down the path to B movies because Roger Corman obviously made the first one in two days yeah. or whatever with no money, <laughs> uh, just like shooting on a back lot that they already had built. So great stuff. Uh, and then there was uh, for John McTiernan, pretty sure it was Predator. I saw Predator at a very young age. It scared the hell out of me, but it may have been Die Hard. I don't know which one of those two, but th- those are like the two iconic ones. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, it definitely would have been Die Hard with a Vengeance before Die Hard because I saw the third movie first. So either Die Hard with a Vengeance or Is that Predator. why you think it's better than number no, one? No, it's because it is better. <laughs> uh, we can agree that they're both better than two. Yes, this is true. This is Because John McTiernan didn't do two. Um, so the first one I saw of Guillermo del Toro's was Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Which is pretty much one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. But it was really, how I saw it was actually really interesting because I was working in a video store at the time and we got video script. So I'd heard about it when I was at uni and it was playing at a film festival. I Hold wasn't... up. You didn't see until uni? No. I no, you no, hadn't no. seen Because I saw Pans in high school. I'm pretty sure I wrote no, a no, thing about it in high school. No, you've seen it in high school because it came out in 2000 and... Oh, no, wait. It came in 2006. Yeah, it was... Oh, no, wait. Okay, no, wait. Here's what happened. Yeah, because I saw it in 2007 when I was working at the video store. came out in 2006. My brother was at uni. Sorry. Okay, My brother cool. was at uni and he got say. like a film festival guide and Pan's Labyrinth was playing there, but because it was unrated at the time, they restricted it to R and I couldn't watch it in this film festival because he was raving about it because whatever reason. Yeah. Um, there is a reason. I'll explain it off air though. Um, and... Uh, I really thought it looked cool, but I couldn't watch it. I didn't have the rating, so I just had to wait. And then when I was working at the video store, the screener came down. And because when you work at a video store, you get these sort of yeah. screeners, these dodgy, bad, standard deaf things with like big text across it that says, do not copy this. Uh, was it one of the ones it. that turns black and white every five minutes? No, no, no. This was just one where that title would come up every now oh, and okay, then. Okay, cool. Um, it was crappy quality, had subtitles and everything like that, but. And, and everything was kind of great. But even on that horrible quality, it just blew me the fuck away just how good it was and the design. And, all that. and I didn't get like 90% of what the movie was doing mm. at that time. I just knew it was it was really, really good. My, my, my first Game of Tutorial film, I'm pretty sure, was Blade 2. See, I never – I watched – Clips of Blade One when I was younger, and then I never. I watched keep forgetting you were in a cult, right? Yes, yep. that's why you <laughs> didn't watch restricted. scary horror movies when you were a kid. Makes yep. sense. Yeah. Uh, so, what is some of the director's trademarks? Uh, Zane, violence. Yeah, lots of, um, but blood. really kind of like uh, exaggerated, beautiful violence. Mm. Like the one that really comes to mind is like the severed leg flying through the air in, uh, uh, in Death, Death Proof. Proof. Yes. Yeah, because um, that, that, that image of, has been burnt into my mind. Yeah. I think, leg well, and it's because of how that leg gets severed too. It's because it's out, and so it like literally like cuts the thigh at an angle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when I think of violence, I think uh, when Oren cuts off the guy's head and it Absolutely. just spurts this fountain of blood at the end of the table as well. And then also Django. One, I think one of his deeply profound images is the blood on the cotton. Yeah, absolutely. That was like fucking great. But then you've also got when the bride cuts off Oranishi's like uh, just scalp, yeah, and part of skull, and yeah. you just see that fly. Yeah, so he's like the I get like I don't want to say glorified like the in the aesthetic of violence that he uses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also non-linear storylines. Yep. Uh, and 
chap dialogue very, scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess like chapters. the more novelistic yeah. structures to his yeah. things, because even on these ones that are very linear, they it's chapter one, chapter like um, uh, is Django done in chapters? Yes. And and something like um, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Mm. And also recurring characters. Yeah. 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 Expanded universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't think it is an expanded universe. I don't think it. W- Technically qualify, but yeah, like there are. He's gonna do. He, go you know how he only makes ten movies, and the next one is Charles Manson, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So his tenth movie is gonna be the Dark Tower of Tarantino films, where they all come together. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. Uh, and he's also known for doing. Um, like like movies are a part of the world in which he does it in yeah. pretty much everything except Django because Django exists before movies. Yeah. Like in Glorious Bastards, he uses cinema to end World War Two. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. in like a very literal sense of the word. They talk about TV and all that kind of stuff. I haven't seen Jackie Brown, so I can't comment where it plays into that. But um, he, He's created a world I mean, that th- is weirdly... So like our world in the sense that theater exists. Yeah. Because like so many movies, it's like no one has seen a fucking movie before. Yeah, and no, in yeah. a zombie movie, no one can say the word zombie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Those I mean, things. once I think he's going to like get peak at that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Which is the title of his yeah, Manson, Manson one. one. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I feel about that movie. I'm I'm kind of worried. I was worried. I've been worried about every Tarantino movie that's come out since I started loving Tarantino <laughs> because- <laughs> He treads a line so fine that I know that I could dislike a Tarantino movie and then I would have to question my like of all his other movies. Yeah. I mean, already the the stories that have come out about him and Uma Thurman and j- just the yeah. treatment on set, it's, it's already kind of like, yeah, all right, that's terrible. This is terrible. The movies are still great. They're still great movies. Um, it, what I, my kind of philosophy was that it, I kind of realized I was like, I can still watch the movie and I can appreciate the craft. And I feel a whole lot less bad about just stealing from it <laughs> because I don't have to be like, I don't have to pay reverence to yeah. the filmmaker. I just say, I, I, I stole that from the movie. Well, I guess that's another thing that he's also known for is homage. Homage. Like pulling from all these- Homage on cocaine, really. Yeah. Well, like, well, Kill Bill is just like homage on homage on homage put on a storyline yeah. <laughs> that is itself an homage. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. He pulls it off too because there's so many, I mean, so many filmmakers have come out after after Pulp Fiction hit. Yeah. So many imitators, no one even comes close, no. not even a little because bit. Because he has such reverence for the subject matter that he's, that he's referencing or, or pulling from. And I think and a lot he of- also- doesn't just simply pull from it; he adds to it, or yeah, he he synthesizes it, it yeah. within his own thing. And what I think is interesting too is that a lot of people who watch Tarantino and they're like, "Oh, he's really great. I'm going to copy from Tarantino." Yeah, don't realize that they, Tarantino is copying from other people, and so you're getting this really diluted, like mm. artistically diluted voice. He's pulling from people who literally invented that shot. Yeah, and. Yeah. That's where I think a lot of filmmakers, especially filmmakers our age, are doing it wrong. Is you need to travel to say, back. Our age, is yeah, the problem. our <laughs> age is doing it. You need to travel back into where it started. Like I just found out where, like just the other day, the first dolly shot was invented by the guy who photographed Metropolis and also mm. invented the multicam sitcom lighting oh, yeah, formula. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Fran, uh, Fran something. I don't know what his name is. Um, but he was uh, the cinematographer. 
No, no, no. The Damn. cinematographer for Fritz Lang, um, and he invented the first dolly shot, and then he used, and then he brought those dollies into TV, and that's why TV looks the way it does. Oh wow! So finding out just the source of how all that works then gives you a better scope. Of it. And Tarantino has that. He just has this mm. profound knowledge scope, of all of yeah. cinema and television, pretty much. Uh, what are director's trademarks for you, Charles? So, um, so this is where I'm going to get into what? Oh, no, because that's the next thing. So Frank Oz, uh, specifically usually deals with com- dark comedy. They're like very darkly comedic way. And, and so like in Stepford Wives, you know, you've the endings are also wanting to be dark. He loves dark endings. Like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors ends with Finale all of the characters dying. And that movie was not going to get released because it rated so low because of that. So he sucked it up, reshot the entire ending, and everyone loved it. It was one of the big movies at the time. Same thing happened with um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I don't know what the original ending was, but apparently the original ending was really dark. If there's a twist. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but the original (laughs) ending was really dark and people didn't like it, so we had to swallow it up and make Ugh. it a happy what ending. Was worse. What was his ending for the Muppets? <laughs> wow. Oh, man. All the Muppets died. <laughs> they got burnt. You know You know the end of Toy Story? <laughs> Except he went through with it. <laughs> no, oh, um, God. Uh, and a lot of his comedy has to do with reaction. Uh, death at a Funeral is like, Death at a Funeral is like my, is how I learned editing. How he edits for reaction. Every joke, it doesn't matter who is saying the joke, whoever has the funnier reaction to what is going on, we look at them. Mm, yeah. And so much of what's going on is something really fucked up. So it's better not to see the fucked up thing. You see how yeah. people are reacting to that fucked up thing. Um, that's in Dirty Rotten, Rotten Scoundrels. And I don't think it's in Little Shop of Horrors, but to be fair, that was his first venture outside of Muppets. Um, Stefford Wives was one where he kind of <laughs> did get his darker ending mm. because I, at that point he understood that if people like your characters, they don't want to see them die. So he's made this really comedically dark ending that still is kind of positive. It's bittersweet. Yeah. It is yeah. bittersweet. It's what I felt like Edgar Wright was trying to go for, for all of his films until the world's end where he actually had a proper bittersweet ending. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's all Frank Oz. He also does a couple, like he's has very theatrical. The thing like I noticed at least in little shop is he has like a quick change happen in the middle of a take. So one of the, the, the characters the walk girls, out. Walk she in. walks out, and then she walks. It's the the three girls, the three sort of Greek chorus yep, girls, yep. and they're like street rats. And he does a really clever thing because he has them all there. Then he cuts to like a thing where only one of them's framed in, but in your head you're carrying the three of them there. Yep. She walks off camera. She obviously does a quick change and then comes around the other side in the glamorous sort of sixties girl group costume. And so he does a quick, quick change in the middle of a take, and it's just those kind of like weird theatrical. Oh, you know, even like the gag, like the. Um, the guy in the in the window and he mouths the words and yeah. you can't hear it. Those kind of very physical, almost vaudevillian gags. Well, he had a lot of uh, theatre experience as well, directing theatre afterwards because uh, most of the experience came from Muppeting. He was a puppet dude and he never went to film school, but he learned everything from being on set of the Muppets and being on set of all the Muppet movies. And that's how he (laughs) learned everything. He is very much more of a, um, uh, 
actor-based director because I can't think of any like shots or anything that are really iconic of his. He has very classic staging. He has very classic staging, but the performances he gets and the editing is where he's at. Yeah. John McTiernan, on the other hand. All uh, about the shots. All about the shots. Fuck actors. <laughs> he's like, they know what they're doing. I hide them for it. And his whole thing is he never has one shot. Every shot is a composite of two or more shots. If he has an over the shoulder, that over the shoulder is also going to be a close up. A character is going to turn or the camera is going to move. His blocking for action and his blocking for just scenes is so well thought out that none of it is just singular. Yeah. If the camera doesn't move, the characters yeah. do. And that's, all through through all of his stuff, um, the so many great moments in Die Hard with a Vengeance, where you know a character will come to screen, he'll turn around, talk to a character behind him. Now it's an over the shoulder. Yeah. That then they'll go into a two shot, and then you're in a chasing. It's like the one shot. It's it's so well done. Um, he does. I was actually noticing a lot of that in the Ocean's movies. He does a lot of like, but he does it with uh, in those movies at least. Anyway, he does it with like zooms. Oh, right. And pans and stuff. He doesn't do it with dollies. It's really interesting. He's cool. very 70s aesthetic. Anyway, sorry. Continue. But yeah, the, um, he also doesn't use second unit or he stopped using second unit after Predator, which was his first film, because there is a big moment in Predator 1, which is like the first action sequence. And pretty much he got that cut and he's like, I fucking hate this. What is this? This isn't me. This is a shot, something happens, a shot, something happens, a shot, something happens, a wide shot, something happens, another shot, something happens. This is so not what I want. And so he stopped using second units huh. from that. Everything. Tarantino doesn't use second unit at all. And uh, his Michael quote, Bay doesn't his either. quote about it, his quote about it. Well, Michael Bay doesn't because he just does enough setups. But, yeah. they, <laughs> but Tarantino actually there's an interview and he says, anything not shot by me is unsatisfactory by its very definition was his, <laughs> his actual quote that he did. And he got like a big laugh. He was on this panel with like James Cameron and everything like that. And he just like brought the house down. It was funny. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Del Toro, I mean, he's very makeup effects is sort of the one he's yeah. very well known for. He does practical makeup, very detailed models and, and, and creatures um, narratively, he has very fairy tale structures, even mm, on his yeah. more sci-fi. Yeah, very fables with a narrator who talks almost uh, on the nose about the theme and the ideas of the thing, and then comes in at the end and wraps it yeah. up. The Shape of Water is probably like peak that, but um, Pan's Labyrinth does it a lot. Um, Devil's Backbone does yep. it. Like uh, Hellboy doesn't quite. Does Hellboy have a voice? Hellboy two. Hellboy 2 definitely does. I don't think Hellboy 1... The story doesn't. No. The story um, isn't that fairy tale structure. Uh, uh, what's the name? Pacific Rim slightly does it a bit. There's yep. the exposition and the thing. There's the fairy tale with the, the little girl. Oh, wait, no. John Hurt doesn't. <laughs> John Hurt does it? Oh, well, then... Yeah, there, yeah. he definitely doesn't help. There we go. Um, uh, and so he's in a fairy tale structure. And a strong violence. He uses violence, especially in his more adult I, stuff. I was going to say, almost all three of us have such violent directors and so... <laughs> Different yeah, ways. You've got wildly. glorious, beautiful violence from Tarantino. John McTiernan's is very uh, not realistic. Popcorn. Yeah, it's high, popcorn. High entertainment violence. Um, and Del Toro's like hard-hitting, hard. gritty, realistic, yeah. which always contrasts the fantastic in his stories. Like, I mean, I remember seeing Pan's Labyrinth and the bottle on the nose yeah, I was gonna say fucked that. me up something because I wasn't ready for it. And then she fucking slices his mouth open and then he's sewing the mouth 
back together. I'm what like, what I love is this? about his use of violence as well is it's never, it, it's not glorified. It's just, it is happening. It's not like, yeah. look at this in a close up. How fucked up is this? It's like, by the way, do you see this thing that is happening? It's really gruesome. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. And it comes from his life growing up in Mexico. Absolutely. I, so I think that's so, so fascinating to see where it kind of comes from. Um, and then a thematic idea that is through every single piece of work he does is that the real monsters are the humans. Always. Yeah. And monsters are gods. And that comes from, he's explained this in an interview and I think it's really fascinating. He says he had a syncretism growing up, which is where you kind of mix religions. And he was watching these movies and reading these comic books and these stories and stuff while he had a very, very strong Catholic upbringing. And he had a syncretism where the two fused together and the monsters now became his religious figures. So it's just kind of very interesting. And you can see that, you know, shape what you really are a god oh, yeah, literally <laughs> and he dies and and you know the the fawn in in pan's labyrinth mm. and all that kind of stuff it's just i i, I love it anyway uh, blade so, 2 is interesting in that case because like technically the monsters he, are the monsters he no no he's what he can see he went into blade 2 and his pitch to wesley snipes was i'm going to make this movie but to me the villain is the hero you're no but like like blade isn't anybody yeah. in this the the villain i can't remember his so, name so, but the, the vampire guy that's his is the, this is his movie mm. and and wesley snipes was yep love it done you're the humans in. technically don't matter the vampires are the bad guys and the uh vampires are like these tragic figures yeah yeah i and, really want to see Guillermo del toro do something like nosferatu or dracula even fucking frankenstein He's been working on a Frankenstein oh for the God, longest time. That makes me so but see, hard. James Whale's Frankenstein is actually still fucking great. So, and he really respects that movie. That was mm. sort of the first big one that he watched that he blew his mind. Um, so, why are these your favorite filmmakers? Dang. Why? Why is Tarantino my favorite filmmaker? Is, is it because, because you love feet? No, feet are actually kind of gross. Wow. So is that you just close your eyes every time he does those? <laughs> no, no. I think it's because it's the art that he makes a story. Like the 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 way that he puts a story together and and the way that none of his movies there's no set formula for a Tarantino movie. Other than there needs to be some monologues at some point but, somewhere but that, in there. That's like, okay, there's no set movie it's no formula for making movies except some people talk sometimes. <laughs> uh, but there's a, talking in monologues, like really articulate monologues, I yeah. think are. And I, and I, but then they're never meaningless. No. And I think the monologues that he puts, everything that he puts in, if it is, if it, even if it is violence or a monologue or dialogue or a panning landscape shot, it always adds something to the movie. Yeah. There's nothing really that's wasted um, or doesn't. And I mean, the reason I love Kill Bill so much is because every scene either recontextualizes something that's come before or totally changes what's, what's ha- going to happen after in the next scene. And I think he tells stories that way. And I think the fact that he writes and directs his movies has a, a strong, big, part. Yeah. yeah, a big, big role in that, in that, his writing is probably the strongest part, but he's also great at actually putting it on. Film. Yeah, yeah, at, at, at really honouring the script that he wrote. Yeah. And I know yeah. uh, there are some writer-directors who aren't actually that good at it. Um, uh, oh, should I name them? Uh, uh, is no, it you? Yes. <laughs> uh, no, the guy did District 9. 
Oh, right. Uh, Neil yeah. Blomkamp, oh, no, you know Neil Blomkamp I think, is a better director than he is a writer, and so there's this weird disconnect between the script and the, the way I the movie looks. I still disagree with you on District 9, but every single argument you made about District 9 was just glaring in uh, equal, in Elysium. Elysium. Yeah. And then apparently, like, a chappy. <gasps> walked out. You walked out walked of chappy? Walked out. Oh, Could God. not take it. Oh, wow. Okay. Chanel really wanted to see Chappie and I kept on putting it off and I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. So <sighs> I've, uh. I've since watched it. Glad I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get better. Uh, Chance, why is he your fa- if they your favorite? They are my favorites. Um, so for Frank Oz, it is really his, he has the most perfect plan. I haven't seen anything like this until Reese Shearsmith and um, Steve Pemberton with Inside Number 9 and, their TV shows. I can't wait to see them do a movie. Are they doing one? Uh, well, they did the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, but I haven't seen that. But I think that Frank Oz is such a master of this dark comedy that's not like, it's not like try-hard dark comedy. It's just darkly comedic. Yeah. Um, as I say, you know, he made my you favorite movie You laugh and then ever. you kind of feel bad about laughing. Exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. Um. Death at a Funeral, especially seeing Death at a Funeral using the exact same script with two different directors really shows how talented of a director and however restrained a director Frank Oz was because that script is so fucking ridiculous and what makes it work is that all of the characters are so proper and British and like, oh my, like the um, the whole- And that's why you get Chris Rock in there. Chris Rock would make that so funny. Have you seen it? No. So the gay panic joke in you've seen the original though? Yes. Yeah. The gay panic thing of their dad is done like he sees it, it's like, oh God. Uh, uh, and that's it. And it's like a small moment. Chris Rock is like, ooh, daddy. And he bites his thumb. I'm like, what the fuck was that? What the shit? Oh, ah, oh, it's it's because it is the exact same script. Uh it had yeah. small yeah. rewrites from Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence, but I think that was more um, just improvising. Yeah, improv. They were improvising. I, I've I've read both scripts and they're the same except names and thing. It is credited as uh, what's his name? Craig, Craig Daniel, Dave, David Craig, Craig David's Daniel Something Craig. Like I can't remember his name. It's <laughs> Craig and a D word. He's one of my favorite author uh, things, but Dick. I don't know his name. Um, but yeah, he really knows how to work comedy right. John McTiernan, on the other hand, is what he makes action. It's not flashy like Michael Bay. Michael Bay makes everything look epic. John McTiernan makes everything, I don't know, it just feels right, you know? There's a lot, he gives it momentum. He gives it momentum. Michael Bay has a lot of stuff happening, but nothing happens in reality. Yeah. Whereas John McTiernan's stuff happens. It it, it builds, so it's like stuff happening and then more stuff happens and it's like a consequence to this and every shot is so, I just like it. Yeah. And just like, well, that's kind of like what I'm about Tarantino. I'm like, I just like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like um, it. With me, with Del Toro, it's interesting because I think up until recently, it would I would have had to say Spielberg. Yeah. Um, and again, you would have been wrong. <laughs> uh, but I think the part of what's tipped me over is that Del Toro. Well, a Del Toro, I think, has a much stronger filmography. I think Spielberg has a couple of things that, and I mean, you can't be that prolific and not make a turd every now and then. It's not possible. Whereas Del Toro is maybe a little bit more selective. Um, but I think part of it is listening to Del Toro and Del Toro's way of articulating how cinema works. Yeah. I don't think prior to Del Toro, 
because even someone like Tarantino, he talks about movies, he talks a lot, but he doesn't actually articulate why this shot here and this cut here makes this work mm. like that. Del Toro can articulate that. And prior to Del Toro, I think Alfred Hitchcock was the only one who could actually articulate why the cinema works the way it does. And so that's kind of tipped me over a fair bit, um, along with The Shape of Water. I think The Shape of Water yeah. just was such a good movie. Um, and I think what makes me really love him is his range from the really, really intimate to the really grand spectacle. You go from like Pan's Labyrinth to Pacific Rim. Yeah. You cannot yeah. find a more one is such an intimate scale movie and yet both feel epic in their own emotionally epic. Um, I think it's, and, and then also just the, 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 the monolithic level of detail he puts into every single shot, every cut in the cloth, every stitch, every color, every crack, every drop of water is there for a reason. Yeah. And he knows the reason and it works. It doesn't feel forced and wanky. Like the his color palettes, especially, yeah, sort of really his sing. use of shapes. Uh, that was the thing that struck me about watching Hellboy, and because I'm pretty sure Hellboy and uh, oh, his Pan's ovary Labyrinth. shapes that come into yeah. it, yeah, 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 yeah. Hell, Hell, Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth really showed me how you can use shapes in storytelling, uh, and and because that was, I think, I because did they come out 2004, 2006? Uh, yes, 2000. No, no, Pan's Labyrinth was after before Hellboy two. No, but Hellboy 1. Oh, Hellboy 1, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, Hellboy 1. Yeah, I believe defining. it was something like that. <laughs> yeah, because w- Hellboy 2 was 2008 because we were graduating at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, those two movies just showed me so much. And like every, every single film since, and even going back to Mimic, because I uh, Mimic, I can't even remember why I saw Mimic, but I didn't realize it was the same director at the time, but you still see so much of him in there, even if he hates it. Yeah, I think with with Doug his James. with his work, in his work, style is substance mm. and form is content. Uh, I always bring up my favorite quote was from the Pacific Rim uh, commentary when he was like, I don't do eye candy, I do, I do eye, eye protein. protein. Yeah, oh, and it's just so great. So what... What's your favorite film of theirs and your least favorite? Zane, oh, I mean, feel like we already know this answer because you've answered it. But <laughs> yeah, well, Kill Bill one and two, uh, my easy answer, though Death Proof. Do you, does you consider them it. as a single text? Don't yes. you? Yeah, I do yeah. too. But a lot of people are weird about. And it. And if people make me pick one, to. I will pick. I will pick the first one. Yeah. Um, just because it's just so perfect. Yeah. Um, but Death Proof really does rival it. I remember I didn't like Death Proof for the longest time until we, you and I and like a bunch of other people went and saw the the, the Grindhouse double yeah, yeah. and I saw it on a cinema for the first time. I'm like, oh, fuck, I get it. This is one of his best. And yeah. I think it's precisely because he was his own DP on that one. Yeah, yeah. That made it a little bit more, it felt more intimately Tarantino in a very weird way. Because Well, it was a smaller yeah. sort of story. Um, but also every time I watch Jackie Brown, in between watchings, I forget how good it is, and then I watch it again. And I'm like, "Oh, this is great movie." Yeah, um, I still haven't seen it. It's on, like it's literally at the top of my pile. Look, I just, last time I told you to put Godfather Two to the top of the list, put Jackie Brown above You'll Godfather Two. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and least favorite Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's is there just, anything particular about it, or is it just because it was so iconoclastic to everyone else? I think the performances don't do it justice. Um, I think Bruce Willis specifically yeah. isn't great in it. I don't particularly like John Travolta in it either. Oh, really? Um, yeah. 
real. That was his comeback movie. He got an yeah, Oscar nomination for I know. it. Um, Samuel yeah, Jackson I, is Samuel I, L. Jackson. Yeah, uh, like it's a great movie, and I it's, I, it's still it's one of my favorite time. movies of all yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. But it's just yeah, I, I think he didn't have as much control um, over the outcome of that movie that he has in every subsequent yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chanster. Cool. So for Frank Oz, my favorite movie is unsurprisingly Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> uh, I still cannot articulate why. Uh, it's just whenever I watch that movie, it touches me deep in my soul and I love it. Uh, his least favorite movie uh, for me, because I haven't seen in and out or House City yet. Is in and out the one about like the teacher is like... Yeah, gay and all he's that gay. kind of stuff. Yeah, and then, but then like he's like outed by a student or something like that. No, Did well, Frank Oz direct that one. Yeah. He's he's still in the closet inside himself until the very end. Oh, right. Okay. Everyone else knows he's gay, and he's doesn't. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to see, see that. It. Okay, who's yeah? Okay, uh, so uh, was it Kevin, Kevin Klein? Yes. Yeah. So yes. I I haven't seen that, so I can't make a judgment on that or the house sitter or what about Bob. But uh, oh, also he um, co-directed Dark Crystal. I did not realize that. Oh wow! I just looked at his IMDb then. But I'm going to say my least favorite of his is probably The Indian in the Club Cupboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. Did he direct? He that directed one? that one. I never liked that as a kid. Yeah, it, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But I remember watching it. I think uh, what was that other small toys fighting th- toy soldiers? Pretty yeah, sure they both soldiers, came out around yeah. the same time. And I think because toy, toy soldiers, soldiers is way better. Yeah, it was so much more fun. Whereas Indy of the Cupboard, I do not remember. John McTiernan, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, it is a fine line between Die Hard with a Vengeance and The Predator. No, not The Predator, sorry. That's Shane Black's film. Predator. <laughs> Predator. <laughs> um, but his, my least favorite of his is so easy, Rollerball. Yeah. The 2002 the remake. remake of Rollerball. Did he direct Roll? Holy shit. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that felt... And, and like I've read since like it was really meant to be like a satire, like the original and all these ways, but it just felt you remember my friend Harry? It was his favorite fucking movie. That's that's how I will describe that. Jesus. Movie. Okay, yep. Say no more. Yeah. Say no more. Uh for me, my top it's it's I mean, number one is probably Pan's Labyrinth. It yeah. is, but my top three of his are Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, we we can do top three. No, no, Bow because Finger, I need to describe uh, Little Shop Hot. I think his movies are so very different. Like Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water are pretty much hey, for me. Okay. Can I just say that both my favorite and my least favorite of Tarantino's work <laughs> are all in my top 10 movies of all time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and I really actually really loved Crimson Peak. I yeah. really loved it. And I think it doesn't get the love it deserves because everyone thinks it's meant to be a horror film and it's not. Um, my I, least favorite is. I don't think any of Tarantino's films really are a single genre. No, they're, they never are. I mean, Django's a Western. Yeah. Hateful Eight is a Western who done it, but like he has the overriding genre, but he works with subgenres is his thing. And he talks about, mm. it. he says, you know, there's, uh, it's not a war movie. It's the bunch of guys on a mission and that's yeah. his subgenre movie. So it's not like a, you know, it's not the fairy tale. Mm. So it's, you know, Shape of Water is the falling in love with yeah. the monster kind of thing. Or, and Pan's Labyrinth is like the girl discovering her, herself yeah i just love the fact that uh pacific rim is a sports movie yeah pacific rim is a sports movie dressed up with giant monsters and he specifically watched sports movies to prep for it um my least favorite matches up with guillermo del toro's least favorite is mimic obviously and it's purely because you can tell so abundantly that the studio interference on that Mm. movie was insane but what's really interesting and he said this and it was so true and it's what you 
mentioned before is that he says when he sort of rewatched it to do the director's cut of it, he said the narrative wasn't there. There were things that weren't there, but his sort of the covenant he had with the visual language of the film, the way it was shot was still there. Yeah. And you can tell that you can see Mm. that in like, especially just in the rain, like when you first sort of see the the, the cockroach person that's seen the imagery that he does, it's so, I mean, it's so iconoclastic. Like iconic, not even iconoclastic, iconic, because he's very mythic images is his big sort of search mm. in as far as cinema. And you can't go past something like in Pan's Labyrinth when the the pale man puts his hands to his eyes and yeah. opens them up. That is just there. You can picture it so clearly in your mind. And that's, that's sort of another thing I love about him, I guess. Um, but the colour is there and all that mm. in Mimic. It's just, it's lacking in a lot of yeah. other ideas because he was interfered. I know Robert Rodriguez was even the second unit director on it. Oh, really? He brought in Robert Rodriguez to help. Oh, that's awesome. Do second unit stuff on it. And the only reason he wasn't fired from that movie was Mira Savino kept sticking up for him because she loved him as a director. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Are there any of their films you haven't seen? Nope. Have you seen all the ones that he's, like, written but didn't? Most of them, yeah. And most of the stuff that he's produced as well, like uh, Hero and... Man with the Iron Fist. Yes. Yep. All of those. Um, (laughs) I've seen all of them. Uh, Luckily, like, Tarantino has a very finite... Uh, body of work yeah. so um, it's not hard to see it all yeah. and it doesn't hurt that they're all goodish they're all very up there as yeah. far as quality goes Chancer? Uh yeah well like I said I haven't seen In and Out uh, which I'm really upset about I do really want to see it I'm pretty sure it might be on Foxtel now or something I'll give it a watch maybe tonight who knows um, who knows and also How Sitter What About Bob uh, I can't remember if I've seen Muppets Take Manhattan I feel like I definitely That's the one where have. Gonzo's trying to look for his family. He's like the main theme of the oh, story. Oh, then yeah, I've definitely seen it. Okay, cool. Take it's that It's where back. they do the, the um, oh, what's the, uh, everybody, uh, there's like an uh, iconic song, uh, the iconic party song that was used like in the late 2000s. Fuck. What was it? Oh, well. That who classic. let the dogs out? No, no, no. Party who, song, who, like who, everybody who, who? something. So, anyway, I just remember they used it very Vanessa Amorossi's Everybody. Absolutely no, no. Absolutely no. Everybody. everybody. No, no, no. Everybody. Yeah, I know the song. It's that's not it. I'll remember it in a tick. Um, and John McTiernan. Uh, John McTiernan. I haven't seen the Thirteenth Warrior, uh, which is Antonio Banderas, and he's like seems to be like in some medieval getup. Sounds awesome. I'm really upset. <laughs> I haven't seen this. Uh, and I haven't seen the Medicine Man from 1992. I've heard about this because that's Sean Connery, who's a medicine man. Um. <laughs> And Basic, which was his last film in 2003. Before he went to jail. Yep. Uh, I know he has recently done a ad for... Uh, He's trying to raise funds for a new one, isn't he? Ooh, what? A new action film. If I had money, I'd put it in. But He's I desperately trying to get back into it. Oh, please do. Like I, I said, like Hollywood took him good. down because he knew about the lizard people. Probably, I don't know. I'm, pretty, I'm sure this, uh, what do you call it, theory that Hollywood was trying to take him down may have some gravity to it. I just saw it and I'm like, Ugh, conspiracy theory, ignore. Yeah. Um, for me, Kronos is the only Del Toro one I haven't seen yet. I think It's really me. hard to track down. There's, it's on DVD, but I want to see it on like a high quality one because I know there's some prints and that aren't great, like the transfers. Mm. Um, and there's like a Blu-ray, a Criterion Blu-ray of Kronos that I really want to watch that one because it's one of his foreign language films as well. And it's his first one. He doesn't consider it his first film because he was still learning. He considers Devil's Backbone to be his first film. Love Devil's Backbone though. That's a great one. Um, but yeah, it's a decent. It's, it's it's hard to come by, which is why I haven't seen Kronos yet. 
Um, is there stuff that they've done outside of movies? And what are your thoughts on their stuff? No, don't I have, don't really know. And it's going to do literature, film literature, what? eventually. Eventually. I probably won't pay any attention to that. Oh, really? I don't know. I don't, okay. I'm not, I'm not like... I'm not like Tarantino and You're everything is done. I just yeah. like the movies. Okay. <laughs> like that's the thing. I I think that's why I don't have a problem separating filmmakers from films. Like yeah. why I can still watch Woody Allen films separated from all the s- terrible things that Woody Allen has but done. But the real question is why do you want to watch a Woody Allen film? Because they're not that. Some of God. them are funny. The old Some of ones, them are very- the pre-finger fucking his daughter ones are actually pretty good. But. One could make an argument that finger fucking his daughter made his movies a lot less interesting. I mean, I don't take that into account when I watch a movie. <laughs> I mean, and so yeah. What if what if it is a movie that can specifically like explores themes of finger fucking your daughter? Like then like like I what's the one he did with Larry David? Yeah. The one he did with Larry David. Pardon? The one he did with Larry David. I have not watched that movie because again, since I've learned about Woody Allen, I have avoided his movies. Because I don't want to watch them in that context. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Chanster. Um, well, as far as uh, Frank Oz goes, I mean, it's not movies, but he's been doing, uh, not directing, but he's been doing acting for years. He started as an actor. You know, he was a Muppet man. He, he played Yoda for fuck's sake. Um, I did just find out he did play Yoda in The Last Jedi. So that was. You mean you just found that out? I assumed it was maybe like there's the like fucking- a whole thing about him going onto set and operating the puppet. He was operating the puppet. Oh, really? And that is great. Oh, they that built me deep that inside. hillside, yeah, on a soundstage so that he could be under it, operating Yoda and doing the voice live oh, with so Mark Hamill. And Mark, there's a scene where Mark Hamill goes in there and he sees it and he starts like tearing up. Oh, that is that is excellent. That documentary on that Blu-ray is fucking. I still amazing. haven't watched that documentary. Okay, that's why. Cool. Um, but otherwise, yeah, he's like acting. He's doing all the voices everywhere. He was in Zathura, I guess, just scrolling through his IMDb page. Uh, he was in Inside Out. Uh, Who's he voicing Inside Out? Uh, he was one of the subconscious guards. Uh, he was in, he was Yoda. He was a but lot of Yoda. Has he created anything like books, TV shows? Look, music for he's Sesame done. Street. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He, he's, so he's done um, a bunch of songs for the Muppets and Sesame Street and stuff like that. Okay. Um, that's all. I feel like with Del Toro is probably like the best one for this question, though. Yeah, because he did just, The Strain. Well, he's done Troll Hunters and he did the mm. book and then yep. the TV show. He did The Strain, the books, and then the TV show. I've started watching Troll Hunters. It's fun. It should have, like, I wish it was like a big movie, but apparently it's like really big and epic and he's doing like three more spin off shows and there's one called Wizards. So I'm so there for that. Cool. Um, I'm not surprised. And they're a big connected universe as well. He's just he's just booked a Netflix. He's doing an anthology horror anthology, a Black Mirror mm. horror. Oh, that'll be great. For Netflix. I'm so sold there. Um as if a produce- I didn't already have a Netflix subscription, yeah. I would buy yeah. one. Let's get uh, let's get a second one. Just, just for kicks. Yeah. Um, just see, dear Netflix, I bought this for Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Give it to him, please. Um, uh, as a producer, he's started the careers of filmmakers like AJ Bayona, who did The Orphanage, and that's the one he produced, but then he's gone on to do, he's doing the new Jurassic, Jurassic World. Yeah. He did uh, The Impossible. He's done a lot of things. I, he- I, this is one of the reasons I love Guillermo del Toro is because because of Mimic, and I'm glad Mimic happened to him because he was like, well, fuck producers. I'm going to become my own producer with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> and he started so many careers because of it. it he, is- uh, Andy Muschietti, so the reason why we have it as being as good as it is is because he, st- he 
produced Mama yeah. based on he got sent a short film, Mama. He loved it so much. He made the feature film. He funded for like $18 million. Yeah. Got it funded with Jessica Chastain. It was a huge hit. It was a sleeper hit of that year. It's a really good movie. I really love that movie. And then Andrew Machete had a long break of trying to find his next project, ended up replacing Carrie Fukunaga for it. Became literally the highest grossing horror movie in the history of all time. And Andy Muschietti is now set for life. Um, uh, he produced Rise of the Guardians. He's the reason why Rise of the Guardians became a movie. Oh, wow. Well, um, Del Toro, that. he produced a movie, an animated movie, a lot of animated because he, he had a, a contract with DreamWorks. And that's why he did uh, that. And he did a couple of others. He was like a story consultant on fucking one of the weird ones that I thought was really weird. But um, he produced a movie called The Book of Life which is one of my Love favorite that. animated. It's kind of Coco before Coco. Yeah, it, and I think it's way better than Coco. Mm, Artis- I think they both exist in, in, in... They're both fine movies, but Book of Life, I think, is much more deeply profound from an artistic point of view. I yes. think Coco is a narratively yeah. as excellent, but I think artistically Book of Life is yeah, has absolutely. much better decisions made behind it. Um and they all all of those projects are in line with the kinds of movies Del Toro makes. Yeah. But they each have the stamp of the voice of the filmmaker that he was heralding he didn't try and impose his own thing he just found people who were into the same things he was and then gave them their own voice which is just phenomenal um have they influenced you has the filmmaker influenced your work i mean like you worked in theater but have you sort of taken anything from his stuff and recontextualizes it i have not cut off any legs in any of my theater productions yet, yet. <laughs> yes, can't wait for the uh, next version of have you ever uh, considered, Todd, have you ever considered film Mm-mm. I don't know enough about it. I don't I don't know enough about the technicalities of it. I don't know anything about anything. Speaking as having been on people's sets where they like they don't watch enough. I think by the sheer virtue of the fact that A, you know actors and B, you know movies, you would be able to direct circles around so many other people I've met. Yeah. But- Keep in mind, you have a DOP, you've got a you've got a lot of technical people. To deal with the technical That's, that's what Tarantino's thing is that he's like, I don't know how to make a good shot, but he had a meeting with Terry Gilliam at the Sundance Labs. And he's like, I don't know how to like light a good shot. And Terry Gilliam said, you don't need to know how to light a good shot. You just need to be able to tell other people what it should feel like. And it's their job to know how to do it technically. Right. So what you're saying is if I make a movie and it's terrible, it's everyone else's. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's exactly correct. Because when you're doing theater, if it's good, it's the actor's fault. If it's bad... It's your fault. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, Chancellor? Uh, well, as I said, the the editing in Death at a Funeral is one of the reasons why I'm an editor. That The way he shows comedy for Frank Oz, sorry, is, has definitely influenced me. And the way I, I am not nearly as good as what John McTiernan does, but I love what he does and I always try and do it. And then, you know, the bu- uh, the budget, the fucking schedule never allows you to. And you're like, okay, we ch- we'll change it. Yeah. Just, just a close up to time. Like, keep in mind, that's exactly how he's faring and his decisions are made on the fly based on shit. That is changes. true. So I'm not as good as John McTiernan. Um, for me, I think like, a lot of the active influence of Del Toro has happened only kind of recently. I think with my feature film, I really tried to put in color coding based on things that I heard him say in, in Pan's Labyrinth and in all that. And I really tried to color code costumes and, and ideas that way. I, I think it was so lucky that the theater you had had that big colorful background that you were able to change, change it the color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was such so a great... Well. Um, oh. uh, his, his approach to color is one that's kind of 
stuck with me for a while now, but um, uh, recently the idea of uh, full mezc- like like all these interviews he did with the shape of water really kind of shaped how I want to go moving forward with my movies yeah. and really approach the form as content. Um, and also the creation of mythic images, indelible imagery that really solves it. Cause he it just, in the way he was articulating cinema, it got me thinking about cinema in that way. And I'm like, Oh, I can take that and I can really elevate my own work in the places where it kind of maybe has fallen flat in the past. Well, I mean, Del Toro is such a great person for exactly that in that he does articulate and he spreads his knowledge around. Yeah. And you see that like he picks people and he he helps them and he he elevates their work and tries to give them voices as well. Yeah. Whereas like Frank Oz, like he exists in the world and you can examine him and try and figure out something like Tarantino. You can look at his work and he does talk a lot about it, but Del Toro knows so much about exactly why he does every single thing and yeah. he can tell people that yeah. so he's something that and there are some, really there are some great phenomenal filmmakers who actually can't really articulate it uh yeah. paul thomas anderson is i've seen interviews long ass interviews and he never gets around to articulating why he made a decision the way he does and he makes really indelible phenomenal decisions mm. but he doesn't always articulate why and i don't think he can and that's nothing wrong with that but Del Toro is really good at that part I, as I well. I think we're lucky to have Del Toro. I know. Del Toro in our, I'm so like, lucky to be living in a us, world with Del, like be existing in a time when Del Toro is in the middle of making movies. Yeah. I think he's really, really good. And like, he's so visible and accessible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. even on Twitter, he has like book recommendations on Twitter and I've just been like adding them and movie recommendations. I literally visited, I found the, the Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, um, Filmmakers who did Spring and the right, Endless yeah, Nap of because of Del Toro tweeting about it. I'm not it. surprised now because <laughs> you came over and told me all about these guys and I'm like really excited to see their stuff now. I am not surprised you found out through Del Toro. Yeah, yeah. And he's making me want to go and revisit ones that I necessarily didn't. He's he's really championed uh, The Counselor, the Ridley Scott movie, as oh, really being underrated. And I'm like, okay, I never watched it for the first time, but I need to go back. I, and I, I do love out. vaginas on my, you know, windscreen. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Oh, good. Um, and then another big theme, and this is one I've kept, and it's probably because growing up I saw some things that probably not necessarily line up with but mimic things that he may have witnessed is the idea of humans being the true monsters. Yeah. Uh, that's like that's in the law. Like every time I've written something fantastical, like I've avoided horror specifically because to me the humans are the bad ones, mm. like a direct horror. And so, yeah. Uh, we're going top five now. We'll finish this up with our top five. Uh, directors. Uh, we're going to top five directors we love but don't talk about very often. Uh, so I, think, I thought it'd be interesting. Um, I'll go through first really yeah, fast. Yeah, go through first. I thought this would go a lot shorter. But uh, my honorable mentions, as I mentioned before, Steven Soderbergh. I really yep. need to go back and watch more of his stuff. Gore Verbinski, epic visual, visual, such a visual filmmaker yeah. and doesn't get enough credit. Paul McGuigan, who did Push. He did a lot of episodes of Sherlock. He's done a lot of pilots, Scandal, Luke Cage, He's, it actually puts a lot of style into TV. Frank Darabont, yeah, he hasn't made a bad movie. Timo Beckmambatov, visual. Matthew Vaughan, I've talked about him a bit before. My top five, I've got uh, Liz Garbus. She's a documentary filmmaker. Phenomenal. She's uh, Bobby Fischer against the world. What happened, Miss Simone? She's got a new series coming out about the New York Times during the Trump presidency that I'm dying to cool. see. Really, 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 really great documentary filmmaker. Number four is Mike Flanagan, horror filmmaker. His weakest movie is his first one that he made with no money and everything else he's made since is so strong. Visual. He's a very visual filmmaker. Uh, I got Robert Zemeckis. Yep. I need to see more of his stuff. 
I think he's way more groundbreaking than anyone gives him credit for. And they give him a lot of credit for groundbreaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but something like Death Becomes Her, like fucking. Yeah. Uh, number two is Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes is really interesting for me because he almost goes under people's radars, but he also makes really great movies. American Beauty, yeah. Road to Perdition, Jarhead. Skyfall. Skyfall. Like he's he's very big range. And then number one is a filmmaker I don't talk about anywhere near as often as Robert Altman. <laughs> Who, Unless you talk to you like I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. About, but Robert Altman is known for doing these big ensemble casts. Everyone kind of talks at once and the camera kind of zooms and roams. He's, I think the reason why I don't talk about it is because he's a very inimitable, inimitable filmmaker. You cannot imitate him unlike you can imitate Kubrick and make it your own thing. Yeah. You can't really imitate Robert Altman and make it your own thing, which is really, really sort of speaks to how almost singular he is as a voice. Um, but his film is really great. Nashville uh, from 1972. I want to say 1972, absolute flat-out masterpiece, one of the best films ever made. So uh, really, really interesting filmmaker. Shanster. Yes, uh, I'll go next then. Um, So uh, two of them are the two I spoke about today, John McTiernan and Frank Oz. I always talk about Frank Oz's – I always talk about the editing in uh, Death at a Funeral, but other than that, I don't really talk about Frank Oz to people uh, when I talk about directing. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. I talked to you about Shane and I'm glad that you're here because you actually, whereas like other than the protein line, I never talk about Del Toro to other people. Um, George Clooney, uh, who I really think is an underrated director. Not enough people know the stuff he does and how well he does it. Good night and good luck. And uh, confessions of a dangerous mind. So good. Crazy good. One of the best actor turned directors. Uh, Ben Wheatley. uh, I know you didn't like Free Fire. I love his stuff. But, I do. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't talk about that much. And Wes Craven as a horror director. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he was so groundbreaking in horror. And then he became so bitter and cynical that he just made satires on the genre he practically created. I yeah. love seeing how his career has grown. Yeah. And how his but style has But he also did grown. a great thriller in Red Eye. Oh, no, he did. Love uh, Red Eye. Absolutely. Uh, it's just and really. Apparently uh, the, the one he did with Meryl Streep. Is really good, but then it's like a drama about music. Oh, I haven't uh, heard of this. The one she got an Oscar. Oh, I say the one she got an Oscar nomination <laughs> oh, for. Oh, Florence Foster Jenkins. No, 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 no. Um, the music, like the, the and she's like a music teacher. I'm just trying to think of literally anything else Meryl uh, Streep was nominated for. I feel like I should know. It's this, like a Mr. I'm... Holland's opus esque title, but anyway. Cool. So my top five. Uh, number five is Brian De Palma. Um, I always think I have I don't not know seen anywhere near how. enough of his stuff. Oh, nor have I, because there's so much of it. Yeah. But I don't know how I always forget how good he is. And like even watching the first Mission Impossible, I'm like, holy shit, this is such a well-constructed film. Uh, number four is Catherine Bigelow. Uh, yeah. Just love what she's done. And I, I'm kind of glad she took that like 10-year hiatus to come back with fucking bombs in the ground. What's it called? <laughs> Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. Good old Hurt Locker. Um, bombs in the ground. Good old Bombs in the ground, you know. Um, but music, classic sorry, movie. just to clarify, Music of the Heart. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I will have to see this. I have not. The drama um, by Wes Craven. But yeah, uh, also Catherine Bigelow doing fucking, what is it? Topless shirty guys surfing. Point Break. Point Break. Good old Point Break. <laughs> Topless surfing guys <laughs> surfing. Yes. Almost as good as Bombs in the Ground. <laughs> that classic movie. <laughs> Um, number three, Jonathan Demi or Dem. How yeah, do you pronounce his Demi, name? Jonathan oh, no, Demi. Demi. 
Ex- Jonathan Demi had such a style. And it's so invisible until you realize it. Exactly. And, and when you realize it, you realize how confronting it's been. Yeah. Uh, fucking. <laughs> God damn it. Tom, Tom Hanksy Ains one. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Tom Hanksy Ains. <laughs> Is this a bit now? Are you just doing a bit? The Tom Hanksy Ains bombs in the ground. <laughs> Philadelphia. That film was just so confronting, and I don't Still haven't feel seen like it yet. any other director could have pulled it off as well as Jonathan Demi did. And of course. Silence of the Lands. Silence of the Lands is the only film I talk about. And that's because I love the book and he is literally the only director who has been able to do and Yes, I haven't seen the TV show. Fuck you. Yeah. I'll watch the TV show. You should watch the TV. You like the TV show. I know I'll like it. But now I know that they only made three seasons and I'm upset and I can't start it because I'm going to want Better more. than one season for fucking Firefly. So Good point. Sh- um, number two, Robert Zemeck- Zemeckis. Yeah. I, uh, that man's blocking is insane. The way he has the characters in the frame, the move. I know I, I watched this great uh, video essay on back to the future and how like they just broke down everything he did in this one shot. And it's like, we learned so much from this one. And shot. he's known for groundbreaking visual effects, but they never are just like, look at this cool thing. Exactly. Yeah. Which is so rare. So, yeah. so rare. No, absolutely. And number one, number one is George Miller. George Miller. First off, his dollies are insane. Just going in on the face, going in on the face, going in on everyone's face. It is so great. Yeah. Uh, but also his range as a filmmaker. Happy Feet, Witches of Eastwick, Fury Road. Yeah. No one has a range yeah. like that. Well, I don't know. Mad Max and uh, Happy Feet, I can see the similarities. But oh, they're shared universe, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, but like Babe and fucking Witches of Eastwick, it's yeah. just... He didn't do Babe 1, he did Babe 2, didn't two. he? I thought he did both. Babe 2, Pick in the City. No, he didn't do 1. I While Zane goes through his, I'm going to IMDb. Well, I feel that I'm the least qualified for this list, so I've got very few. I've got three honourable mentions and then my top five. Now, e- e- the, the actual wording was filmmakers that you like. Oh, okay. So Chris Noonan did Babe. Sorry, all of mine are, are directors, have directed, but I kind of got into like looking for titles that I want and then trying to find connecting names. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. So I've got into a little bit of an animation wormhole. Ooh. Um, but my two, George Miller and Soderbergh, they're on yep. my honorable yeah. mentions as well as Tim Burton. Yeah. I really love Tim Burton. Um, I don't talk about him because he's. He's now so known. Yeah. For well, he's just like a, he's a trope now. Yeah. Uh, so. You can have a Tim Burton-y movie. Yeah. Which is why I Which, love Ed Wood so much because yeah. it's not a Tim Burton movie. Have you seen Big Eyes yet? I haven't. I, have I want not. to. Yeah. It's good. I own it it's, on DVD. It's and one I of his it. least Tim Burton movies, but his use of color in it is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. So top five: uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Anderson. Yep. Yeah. I don't talk about, but I love. He's almost a trope now too. Uh, again, yeah. Uh, Brenda Chapman. Now she was with DreamWorks. She did. She directed. Uh, Prince of Egypt, but she also worked on uh, Little Should've Mermaid, just said the Moses Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, the Moses one. Yeah, you know, Prince of Egypt. You know, Sandy Desert People. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Desert People and singing Mariah Carey. <laughs> uh, but she okay. she worked on Chicken Run, and but she directed Holy shit. Brave. And she was the first yeah. woman well, I to was going to say this is Brave, isn't it? Yes. Because is, she directed Brave. Um so then 
Continuing on that line, Brad Bird. Yes. He's uh, such a good I don't talk about him and I always forget about him, but he's like he wrote Batteries Not Included, and that is the one movie I want to be rebooted. I want oh my a God. remake of Batteries Not Included. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because that movie doesn't hold up now. But gosh, I loved it when I was a kid. How Same was Tomorrowland Same. though. Pardon? Tomorrowland. I uh, liked yeah. that one. It was <laughs> flawed. It was, but it was really good and flawed. But I mean, also, watching, yeah, it was made for like people decades younger than me. I think he also made the best Mission Impossible film, Ghost Protocol. So, and uh, uh, the Iron Giant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, what can you do? Uh, and then number one, very simple, John Lasseter. Cool. Yep. From Pixar. So another one of those filmmakers who's become yep. problematic. Since. Oh, sure don't is. tell me that. What have I missed? He's quitting uh, Pixar at Why? the end of this year because he fucking harassed people. God damn it! I think I think what we're discovering is that to get ahead in the film industry in the last you have twenty to thirty years, harass people. slash as long as the film industry has existed, you had to be a pretty bad person. Like you can be a bad person and a super intelligent, creative genius, but still. Yeah. Got to be a bad person. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Brad Bird and John Lasseter were, I was, which was high because, you know, batteries not included, Iron Giant, but then you've got Toy Story and Toy Story 2 and like those are just like the best. So Mm. yeah. Yep, that's my list. Oh, cool. Well, that's really good. Thank you, Zane, for coming on and filling in for Josh. Uh, Thank you for people for listening if you want to find us on twitter and instagram we're at picture rangers and you can rate give us a rating and review on itunes uh, and you can follow me on twitter at shane m underscore anderson you can follow me on instagram at the chancester that's c-h-a-r-n-s-t-a-r i realize i've got a weird name probably should have spelt that from day one mm. yeah zane but it is spelt like it sounds no but i've got a soft r so a lot of people think like it's chancester but it's uh. charn star like charmander like charmander yeah uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at zane c weber awesome well thank you guys for listening and you know who's a good director available on vimeo on demand use the code picture rangers for 20 percent off your rental or purchase uh thank you guys for listening and we'll see you again next week Bye.